0: Welcome to The Way of Product. I'm your host, Caden Damiano, and this podcast is for product professionals who eventually want to run their own product org one day. The average tenure of a product leader is two years, two years, because they fail to make an impact with their teams. I want to figure out how the best product teams and creative technologists tick, with the goal of putting it all into a book. And I want to document the progress and behind the scenes with you as I write it in the coming years. Do you want to get the book for free? Then jump over to wayofproduct.com subscribe to the newsletter and I'll send you a draft of the book's introduction in a public Google doc. So if you've benefited from the show in any way, if you enjoy your work more, you got unblocked from limiting belief, go to wayproduct.com, show some love and join the newsletter crew. I appreciate it. And I promise to continue to make the show and newsletter more and more valuable as the years go on. Now let's get back to the good stuff. Thanks for hanging out. Hey, listeners. Today, my guest is Justin Tan. He's a head of design and co-founder at Turtle Design, which is a design agency. But what we're going to talk about today has to do with kind of a unique value proposition that they have been validating recently just through the demand in the workspace. But before we dive into that, Justin, welcome to the show. Can you briefly introduce yourself to the listener and just tell them who you are? And we'll go from... Hey, everyone yeah i'm
1: justin co-founder and head of design at turtle as kaden was saying we're a company that focuses on building great design teams and yeah like maybe i'll start with a little bit of a background on myself turtle was started seven years ago me and my, my partner started it in 2016 but going way back to the start of my design career i went to art school and studied graphic design my education was pretty traditional A lot of layout design, branding, advertising, illustration, that type of thing, and there was very little education on digital or web design, and product design was not even a thing at that time. Me and my friends, we all came out of art school thinking that we would be designing magazines and brands that would appear on stationery and billboards and things like that. And then my first serious job after school was at Critical Mass, which is a global digital agency. And I was really thrown into the deep end of web design there. And I was really fortunate to be able to learn on big accounts that they had like Nissan and Adidas. So that was really like my second education and kind of opening my eyes to what the web and product design was. And Grew into. That's also where I met my founding partner, Josh. We were both junior design grunts together. We sat beside each other and were pumping out banner ads for our various accounts. But through that experience, we just bonded over our shared interest in design and entrepreneurship. And that relationship was foundational. And for the years, we were very close and eventually started the company together. And like through Through my career, I've really been an agency designer. I've had some stretches of freelancing and an in-house stint at Lululemon here in Vancouver, where I live. One of the classic places that people go and do an in-house stint. But yeah, over that time, I really saw a lot teams, how they worked, what was good, what was bad with turtle got to build my own team and. I think I've really gotten to see what makes teams succeed, the common things that lead to good and bad outcomes. So today, that's the thing that I'm most passionate about in my career is how to build great design teams, how to help clients do that, try to do that ourselves, and that's been that shift in in our agency from pursuing project work to pursuing like team building work. So that's that shift that you were talking about, Kaden, in our business model that we've been looking at validating over the past few years and feel like we really have some good traction there.
0: All right. I'm going to start with a hardball question. Do titles matter? I think they they do and
1: they don't, which is like an annoying answer, but I think the context yeah. that they do is they set an expectation for how people should engage with each other within a project kind of context or within a conversation about business. So I think they can give you the shape of what someone might be responsible for, what their skill set might be. So that's useful. But I think that can only take you so far because one of the things that we talk with clients a lot about is trying to drill past titles because one of the weaknesses of titles is that every company has different ways of structuring it. So a senior designer at company A can be drastically different from a senior designer in company B. So, you know, titles do give you an indication of that, but with our clients, when we're building teams with them and building teams for them, we always like really try to push past that and really talk about, okay, you have a title, but what role are you playing on this engagement on this project? What responsibilities are you covering? And How are you supporting the success of this project? So getting past that title is very important. And that's what we do often with our clients. I think titles also matter internally for individuals because they give you those markers and that sense of progression and help guide your career track. And they lay out different things. Do you want to focus on a more managerial type of role? Do you want to be more of like a technical leader? So titles are useful in kind of differentiating those things. So I think for us at Turtle, the titles within our company, that's what they're there for. Titles within a project become a little bit problematic. On projects, we really focus more on what responsibility are you doing? What are you in charge of? How are you contributing to the project? So there is a little bit of a separation there because we are a client services agency
0: yeah uh, for me yeah i think it does not it doesn't always answer for a podcast (laughs) because then you could just dive into it i think for me i've been thinking a lot about titles i recently was promoted and the one of the big discussions in the promotion was what title do you want and that there's like implications of i guess what do i do and well, well what's my responsibility? And yeah, did I, we, I came to a similar conclusion is that it does set the expectation in as, you know, as an internal branding tool for cross-department like partners. Okay, what, like what kind of like work should I be expecting from this person? Because you know that that's like a double-edged sword, right? So if you have a title but your competency doesn't match the title, that actually hurts your career. But if you have the right title aligned with like your competency, one that solidifies like compensation, but then two, it also gives you a lot more, I guess, political weight when working across the organization. And then and then obviously, yeah, like on the resume, you, you need to like show like recruiters, hey, this person does this. Oh, obviously they're growing in their career because their titles are going up. So yeah, it, it definitely matters as more of, a branding exercise, but it, yeah, it doesn't really like change who you are as a contributor too much, or maybe it does. I don't know.
1: I think it maybe just signifies the type of contribution that you would make. So I think that's why for us, the titles on a project are less important than what you're doing. I see titles as being a lot more important. I guess you mentioned on as a brand thing, perhaps it's more about you and your career. It's a personal thing. It's a a professional career progression kind of thing as it relates to recruiting or giving you those milestones or signifiers of growing in seniority. But within a project, I do think they fall short of describing the kind of contributions that someone will make. And it's also like that they, they don't account for individual unique abilities at all so if you have someone on the project that's a principal designer they may be a subject matter expertise in one area but that is really different from another person who is a principal designer that has a different subject matter expertise so they're not interchangeable people one would be a better fit for a certain type of project the other for another and that's again where titles fall short because they really can't capture that So building a great team, I think, is about looking beyond those titles and really understanding what does this project need, what does this initiative need, and who are the right people for that. And of course, there's lots of other factors, like who's available, how do time zones overlap, all that sort of thing. But I think at the end of the day, we're always trying to look at what needs to be done on this project to make it successful. and then who who can contribute to that and titles are just one part of that equation
0: yeah i think it it really just comes down to expectations i do the way that you're describing it is that it's almost an act of curation when you're staffing up an initiative or a product team or a design team because yeah like the the ironic thing is that the more higher up you get the more like your ability to contribute to certain like problem spaces becomes. so yeah, as a principal, you might be mostly experienced in like making lending at a very high level, Consi- you've consistently proven that you could do that over and over again. And that makes it hard for you to just jump into a different problem domain when like someone else, like a senior designer with like maybe more applicable life and career experience might be a better fit. Like they might not need that principal designer in that use case. So I'm curious, like how do how did you crack the code? I don't want to put words in your, your mouth, but how did you kind crack the code on how you curate a team?
1: I think that curation word is, is quite appropriate. So when we're working with a client, the style of engagement that we have is very embedded and very collaborative. So in many cases, we're acting as consultants and jumping into your company and working very much alongside with people in our client organizations. So there aren't, there isn't this really you're the client and we're the agency type relationship, that's not the kind of model that we like. We really come together to make one team. So part of cracking the code is going through essentially a checklist where we have a belief about all the capabilities that a great product design team needs to have. And so those that list includes things that are very practical and not, I guess, not towards the things that like oh, this person is a project manager or a producer. Okay, what does that mean? Usually that means that they are they have certain responsibilities or, or they're fulfilling certain capabilities, like they are managing the timeline and milestones. They are gathering requirements and validating stakeholder feedback. So we go through a checklist like that and really start asking, okay, who is the person that's gonna be responsible for that? Oftentimes it will be someone with a title like producer, but it's not always the case. And we've certainly had situations where we've had clients that said, okay, we want to have our design manager on this project. And they're really good at X, Y, and Z. But once you start talking to them about their availability or the way that they even want to engage with this project, we find out that they're not doing what like a traditional design manager on a project would be doing. And they're maybe more realistically a stakeholder who should be consulted, but can't be involved day to day. So that's an example where it's like the title that you doesn't matter because that's not how you're engaging with the project work. So we go through that checklist of capabilities and just go, who's going to be fulfilling these capabilities? is that coming from you, the client? Is that coming from us? And how do we come together and make sure all of these things are checked off so that this whole project team is very capable and is going to perform at their best.
0: And you come in as subject matter experts on like how to staff up a design team. Are you basically going in there and like looking at like their current in-house team that they have right now? And then you can make recommendations to fill head count based off gaps in their team? Or is that kind of like how it works or? Yeah, that's,
1: that is a portion of what we do. So the way that we think about it is that when we're asked to work with a client, we count them as the first member of any team. So we're essentially doing an audit and talking to them about what capabilities do they already have? What do they believe they're strong in and what are they bringing to the table? And then we look to construct teams that like supplement that and make the whole group better. Some teams, they just aren't very mature in their design function. So they ask for like us to provide everything related to a product design team from like the design capability to the design ops to research to every part of it. So they only have enough to be the stakeholder, for example, but other teams have a lot of infrastructure and a lot of maturity, and they are looking for really specific asks, a specific skill set, or a person that can do this kind of thing or work in this kind of way. So there's a big range of ways that we engage with clients. And that's always that first question that we ask, which is, what do you already have the capability of doing?
0: Yeah. From what I understand about agencies, because I don't have zero agency experience, I'm inverse of like your career. I'm very in-house, but when we bring in an agency, it is more for like a burst capacity. I have worked for more mature teams, but I don't know, like a lot of companies that I'm aware of, they just have like a few, like probably if we were going to use titles, like mid-level designers, like do everything. They fill in gaps and stuff like that, but need, need like people to come in to be like a strategic partner, this might be like a hard question to answer, or maybe it's an easy question to answer for you. I guess what percentage of like your accounts are those like established teams as compared to you guys just airdropping in and becoming the strategic partners because the maturity is not that good?
1: Yeah. I think the spread is probably 50-50 and it's not, and it's not exactly that established companies always need this and startups always need
0: yeah.
1: that other thing. It actually is really just based on the specific team that's available for that certain kind of thing. We might work with a really established brand that is doing something new, like some kind of vision type project. And they may be a very mature organization, but this, prod- this product manager who's responsible for pushing this initiative forward. They don't have access to, let's say hundreds of designers that are actually in that organization. So in that case, we provide that entire package of like strategy, research, execution that is in an environment that is very mature. And you often have the opposite where you have a company that has a really cool startup. They are pre-product and They are not very design mature, but because of speed, budget, all that kind of thing, the best fit for them is a really amazing full stack designer to just plug in for a couple months and just really work with them over that time in a super flexible way. So it's not exactly like a company type that always asks for one thing. It's really suited to the specific. What you
0: described right there goes back to the Titles like n- mattering and not mattering at the same time because they described like, hey, sometimes a company just needs a staff designer, to someone that's like super competent in their skill set, could execute really fast, and could just drop in and like shapeshift to meet the needs of the company. Then even in other companies, it's like actual like burst capacity. Like, hey, we have like a product manager that is more forward-looking. All the design capacity in house is taken up on day to day like stuff execution of existing services, and we need like a team to like airdrop in help get this thing from zero to one, and then let the in house design teams. I guess we would have to do like a reorg to fold it in, but that's like what the recommendations are sounding like.
1: Yeah, and there's certain kind of clients that the progression goes. They have a product manager or a product leader that is responsible for some new initiative and they need that team, as you said, to take them from zero to one. And that phase of the engagement looks very much what I would consider to be a traditional agency engagement where we as the agency coming in are bringing in the people, but also the processes and leading the client through this zero to one journey. That's like what I would say is a hallmark of a traditional agency offering. But once that first phase is done, I think many agencies would pull back because that is the thing that they do. But for us, we look at that as just a changing of the nature of the engagement. So once you have something that's out there in the market, you want to focus on research optimization and iterating on that. So the team required to do that looks different than that zero to one team. So we adjust and the team is there to support that next phase of the engagement. And then we even go to the next phase where the team or the client wants that in that team to be in-house. So they start looking at how do we bring this capacity in with new designers or even existing designers? So we'll often also recruit for our companies. So that is like the way that our our relationship could change with, let's say, a specific group of one of our clients over say a year it would actually go through like this transformation where like at every phase you're almost relating to turtle as like a different, a completely different type of company, but it's because we have all these different services that we offer.
0: Yeah. I think that's, I, I talked with Anthony armendares who's CEO fund size about how the agency model is changing. Right. Because, I think for a while, the traditional engagement of just this burst capacity of like every, everything for end to end was every engagement of it because companies didn't have in-house design, didn't have VPs of designer directors in-house. And so it was project by project. And now that this whole kind of like shift in the industry is, like, oh no, like design headcount at a tech startup is like table stakes. Now a lot of design capacity is being built in-house now it's Hey, they're basically paying you for your thinking at this point as an agency, right? Because yeah, it might be like the traditional burst capacity at first. Then the team gets established. And they want to staff it internally, but then they're like, hey, I mean, we don't have enough budget for a UX researcher, Can you keep a researcher on to pay attention to this, or hey, how do we do career ladders or stuff like that? It's the he calls it the allied model. You basically are like an ally with this company, and that like basically sets you up for like longer engagements.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great term to call it. Ally partner, we really see ourselves in that same way as a consultant, where we're not, we don't come into a client relationship that there they don't have really specific and great know-how about their business. I feel like I've certainly worked in agencies before where the attitude was we're an agency and we're going to bring in all the best people and all the best thinking and we're going to lead you. And I think there are times where that's appropriate when the client is asking for that. But nowadays like the clients we work work with they know their business inside and out. They're not looking for us to come in and save the day or anything like that. They're looking for a partner to work with them and consult with them on how to expand on what they can do currently. Sometimes that's very little and they want to grow it from zero to one, but sometimes they're already a hundred level and they just want to get it to 150 or however you want to measure it. But I think that partnership model is much more relevant in today's market. Because it acknowledges too that we're not really delivering siloed campaigns or specific things like that. I used to work on a lot of web work that was really campaign driven and really tied to marketing and advertising. So you were delivering a thing and then moving on to the next thing. But product design is not like that. And if you can't support a client through the zero to one phase and then the optimization and maintenance phase, then I think you're not really a good partner to a client because you're only filling a certain need that kind of comes about pretty rarely. I think clients need people to walk alongside them more than they need this burst capacity, just come in and solve a problem and then say bye. So that's like what we gravitated to in in our- and-
0: in the world of product like the work never stops so burst capacity is becoming like less and less relevant when it comes to hey this same product might evolve over years and think the growth of this maturity in the design profession i guess the product design profession came from the fact that we it's almost the market needed us to be part become strategic partners like we couldn't you do the whole like marketing model where we're just designing an ad or a web page anymore. Like products don't stop iterating ever until you run out of business. A well-run product never stops iterating. And so we need less like UIs and we need more like clarity on what the problem space is, what the problem framing is. And they like, they need more thinking from us and I think that has been a pretty hard transition for a lot of designers I know is that they think, oh, if I'm a senior designer, I'm just doing like more, I'm just getting paid more to do the same thing with screens. And I've heard designers be like, oh yeah, I love being a senior. It's like the same job I just get paid more. But like, you're not performing at a senior level because you're not working across departments. You're not aware of what's happening outside of your own problem space. We need more from you. And I've had a lot of hard conversations with people that have led no you're not technically a senior you just you got grandfathered in like this isn't I need more from you than just like wire I I think
1: in today's product world the capability of a team and the, the capabilities of individual designers within that team become so much more important because you know what is a project on on a product is the entire life cycle of the product one project like rolling out let's say the next iteration of the shopping cart a project these lines are so blurry that from i guess the agency perspective it's almost impossible to scope and ridiculous to think that what you believe the pod the product should be day one is what it's going to be in day 100 so that's just so unknown that we, we Just abandon that idea for the most part and really focus on, okay, to achieve what you want to achieve, your team needs to be able to do these kinds of things. Like again, going back to the capabilities. So they need to be able to take your brand and translate it into a really engaging UI that will satisfy the business goals. They need to be able to have really efficient operations and collect feedback from maybe stakeholders that are super busy, and maybe you're a very bureaucratic organization that requires five stages of approval. We need to understand what this team needs to be able to do, and then they can respond to any project or any change in what we thought we were going to build. And that just feels very appropriate for today because then it gives us that ability to be flexible where we're not coming in with any sort of like rigid process or way of doing things. It's really just like we have all these things we're capable of, all these tools, and we're going to use them in a very logical way for what makes sense for that time. So yeah, that team or that capability perspective and coming back to that partnering model, I think it works a lot better today than an agency bringing in a trademarked process.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, that ends the worst too. Nothing changes. Shafts my hide more than repackaged design thinking with a TM, like a copyright at the end of it. Like IBM did it. There was like some agencies that like, they basically just made like repackaged design thinking to make it a trademark process. And, yeah. but in, they just go through the same process and it's very unclear if they provided any business value. They just wanted to like productize their process so that they could just sell units and in like billable hours. Like I am recently for me. It was like realizing, okay, get, get really good as at executive presence and then get really good at what the actual problem is. So like people come to me, ah, oh, like this isn't working, operate the ops team, isn't adopting our internal tools. Like the customer experience is like super janky. They're like talking to five different people from the company. And I'm like, oh, this isn't, this is a service design problem. Like we should be doing less like wireframes and planning out releases to our software offerings. And we should actually be doing more journey maps and service blueprints. We should be diagnosing service design issues. And that kind of led to, I guess, like my current role as of this recording, which is I'm basically just doing service design stuff now because I identified a business need and okay, we need someone to focus, spend time on this, like to have like, kind of situational awareness of like how all the orgs are interfacing and delivering value in the first place and by doing that I was able to provide a lot of context to the product design like the actual like squad product designers of like, hey where does your experience fit into the broader service design and I didn't design any UIs I didn't make any wireframes I was just like oh the problem's a service design issue here's why this is what we should spend time on and then the engagement shifted right with me and my employer from my original job title. So, and yeah, it's like evolving. It's like this evolving thing that keeps you relevant to the org.
1: Yeah. And I think that's a very natural progression in any career because you see that product design is service design and that's yeah. just because technology is no longer a siloed thing. And users don't see it that way. They don't engage with, let's say, the branch of a retail bank and then go to use the app and say, oh, this app is a different thing than the branch. So I expect something different. No, no user says that. So the way all these different things tie together into the service that a user is experiencing, that's what a user sees of a company or a brand. And because technology ties that together so much more than it did in the past, it's it's impossible to say, we just work on the app. You do marketing or that, that kind of idea that, oh, we work on the web app, but not on the website, which oh. usually means the marketing side. But they're the same side to a user. They're consuming information. They're understanding something. You're communicating with them. And then you're enabling them to do that thing that you promised they could do. There's no distinction for a user and that's why everything about product design needs to be thought of from that entire service layer. So I think as you get more senior in any organization and as organizations mature, they start to understand that the different units or squads they really need to be working and pushing on the same type of experience across the board.
0: Yeah. And like the customer success team needs to be looped in to the design of the service now, where when historically it was, they just had to deal with any like shortcomings in the product. That was their job. And now it's, hey, how could they proactively just get ahead of any breakpoints in the experience? And so I really like that because it's yeah, to the user, it's relevant. And I think it's like, It drives me bonkers that's best practice that like the marketing team owns like the dot-com and then they, but also means that like the marketing team owns how you get into the product, which is wild because like they don't know. So that actually is like a project that I'm probably going to be working on in my company that I'm working, I'm at right now is okay. How does the dot-com and the website work together? Because the. They're making things in the .dot com. They're doing the the same functional thing as like the actual like web app of the actual product. That's okay. Like pause. Like we need to actually work together on it. And another example because my the org I work at is not a SaaS company. It's very like service driven. Tons of salespeople. Tons of customer success people. Like they they're making like Salesforce experience cloud, like customer facing UIs with a separate login because the customer need, like for example, like a customer doesn't care what, like whose job it is. They're like, I need to be able to log in somewhere and see my account statements, which product hasn't gotten to yet. And so they just bypassed us and made like a portal, which, oh, that was a fun discussion. But then you realize, Yeah, they did it out of necessity because this is what the customer expects. They're like, hey, I should be able to log in and see this. And shame on product for not being aware of that.
1: Yeah. And I think that's also why we're seeing more of these executive titles like chief product officer or equivalent titles, I think is a response to this kind of siloed way of thinking about marketing or product or customer success. That that attitude that they could act independently and that customers understood and had grace for that. Oh, this is a customer support issue, it's not a product issue. Like that doesn't happen. So that's why these titles are emerging, because they're people that can tie all these things together because the product is the service and the service is the product. There is no distinction for a customer.
0: Yeah. And if you and the result of the silos. And this is almost every company is like these disparate systems, like a Salesforce instance, a Zendex desk in, instance. They're owned by different budgets and different departments. And to the customer, it's like, why does this seem so disjointed? It's because it's, oh, no, that's not my, it's the, it's not my job thinking. that prevalent in organizations like, no, I want to stay on. This isn't my job product. We're working on the web app and the app or whatever. And that's what product does and then they ship stuff and no one adopts it and because the operations teams are actively disintermediating customers from the digital product to use their Zendesk desk instance or go through salesforce or something like that it's crazy how often that and it is
1: probably we need to be realistic too that you know, these silos are very challenging to break down and the larger the company is the more the more entrenched they are in having these different disciplines, the harder it is. So there definitely is a gap between, I think, what we all would like and where we are. And it's going to take time to get there because we're still in that evolution of a lot of companies becoming digital. There's still all this like digital transformation projects happening across different organizations. And that just means, oh, wait, but you weren't digital before. (laughs) Like how could you not be digital? But many companies are still making that shift, like the largest companies in the world. So it's a big challenge that we'll probably be working on and trying to overcome over the next decades. But that is where I think many designers, design teams are pushing things and trying to bring that design thinking or way of looking at the experience higher and higher up the ladder. And I think when people talk about design having a seat at the table, I think these are the instances of that where chief product officers, chief design officers, it's senior leadership positions that can bring in that perspective at, you know, just as finance is important, and just as marketing is important, actually tying all these experiences together is very important. And Companies are losing out to competitors that are maybe newer and more holistic in their thinking and giving that experience to customers that there isn't like a jump from what you experience in this instance of the company's brand versus this other. I
0: think it's like a a regression to the mean, right? Like I've noticed at Twitter, pre Elon Musk acquisition, they like laid off a bunch of people and this is before Elon Musk bought Twitter and they implemented a GM model right? Like basically like a key decision maker and they run like business units because of this like siloed thinking of, oh, we have the four-legged or three-legged stool, engineering, product, design, sales, whatever. And all these people were making their own decisions and driving their own outcomes. And so now I'm noticing like regression to the mean, like that we are starting to get like these more like GM type actors, which I, I'm actually all for it, and now that shows more than ever that like design thinking needs to go higher up in the hierarchy because we have to be closer to that GM like persona. It might be us one day actually like running like a bit the business unit because we need to actually holistically think of okay, how's the design of this business work? How does sales fit in? How do we get like where do our mark where's most of our leads from marketing going? How do we get, how those leads transfer into onboarded customers? How's onboarding work? You have to like design like the whole thing now. So like, it's not, we got to get out of our heads and like the craft and actually sit at the table, helping running the business now as designers.
1: Yeah. And it's always a lot more work to work with something existing than to start from scratch. So that's always the challenge with existing companies that now we have a chief design officer. Okay, great. But what are they responsible for? How much say do they have? Whereas- Companies that have that from the very beginning or are very design or product founded, they do have that advantage of coming from a starting point that includes that way of thinking rather than just like a a counting type perspective or just like what can the technology do perspective. So, a lot of new companies, I think, have that DNA that is different from the more established companies that many of us are working in or work with now it's those new startups that are ready to go with this kind of model of the service design experience
0: i think if anyone listening especially those that got impacted by the big tech layoffs are, are like realizing is that there's still a ton of jobs out there there's a lot of like companies that could not like land you as a talent because you're in big tech but there's a lot of these fortune 500 companies. I know for me is like I don't want to work at a SaaS company ever. Like I want to work at companies that are like actual services that have like non-digital components to them. There's a ton of companies out there that would love to hire these design partners to come in and think holistically about their business.
1: Yeah. It's such an interesting time in our industry because that the security of a big tech job is totally in question now and i think it is that opportunity for people to ask themselves what kind of environment do i want to be working in what kind of problems do i want to be solving what what space how do i want to work because that draw of big tech is just so shaken right now it is hard to turn down the salaries and the security and all that stuff of these large organizations but i think now we're seeing that there's no guarantees in those jobs and on an individual level there's a whole lot more to a career than just that type of job and so I think that's it's an unfortunate thing all these layoffs but it's also a cool opportunity that a lot of these other companies that are out there that you know are profitable are ready to go they have something to offer now that they couldn't compete with in the past.
0: Yeah, of course. So Justin, do you feel like there is anything that hasn't been said that should be said in this conversation? Great
1: question. Yeah, I guess, you know, one thing that we did touch on briefly that I'd love to get your thoughts on even is one of the reasons that we've gravitated towards that team model and that team capabilities is the idea that scope is fake and no one actually knows what we're going to be building so i'm curious to know for you like does that ring true or like how do you engage with a statement like that if i were to say cool that you're telling me about your project but it doesn't matter what team do you need Because those are the types of conversations we have with clients a lot.
0: Yeah. One, that, that would be like great swag, like a great t-shirt, like scope is fake or a snapback or something like that. I totally agree with you. I, I was interviewing a couple like product leaders on the podcast and I think it's becoming best practice now that you can't roadmap past 90 days. Like it's becoming best practice. Cause it's like, you don't know beyond 90 days for Mo, like what, where the pro like, where the product's going to go. So like project thinking and like scope, it's irrelevant because we're thinking in outcomes now and okay, how can we move towards this outcome? We could probably think 90 days out, like what we think we could do. And we, then we don't even know once we like after 90 days, like we ship it, like we don't know what we're going to learn. Yeah. Like I think there's a, have you read like the Win without pitching manifesto? Yeah. Yeah. That, that book's great because it's like the doctor, that's basically doctors deal with this all the time. People come in and they're like, "Hey, I think I have this. Uh, What do you recommend I do?" It's a project, right? They come in as a project. What good doctors do is they diagnose before they prescribe. So it's okay, cool. This your knee hurts. Tell me a little bit about your knee. Have you been weightlifting? Have you been running? And then like they're actually learning about the problem because it's like yeah, scope doesn't matter. It's what happens is like there's a symptom. And you need to prescribe something to help the symptom get better. And it may not have anything to do with, so I'm totally aligned with that. And then also I just to keep my monologue going at work recently, I was like told, Hey, when you need to, could you build, could you like design all this and get ready for delivery in two weeks? And then can you, we'll build it and then put it behind a feature flag and then we'll release it when these other things are built. And I'm like, wait, so you want me to like bust my ass? For two weeks and I could have just actually like spend time on this a little bit more time on this like more like comfortably or like in a more like realistic time frame because it doesn't matter because it won't the customer won't see it for another three months that's what you're telling me yeah so obviously I said no I'm like no I'm not doing that it's a total misuse of like team resources but that's just such a it's proof it's like okay when does a customer need to see it to like the and the customer might not, might not care. And so you could spend more time on it. Scope doesn't matter. That's my brain dump.
1: Yeah, I, I like that diagnostic analogy because I think that that ties into some of the things that we really look for in in designers ourselves is I guess that adaptability and that quality of flexibility because designers that come from a very agency model, I think there is this tendency to really get excited about what you think you're going to work on and really hold that too tightly but if we're focused on outcomes we have to be flexible that the thing that we first thought was important may not be important 30 60 90 days from when we started and holding on to that too tightly is actually hurting the progress of the project so i think that dude of okay yes You came in for a reason, like the doctor analogy, but what actually is going on? What is the context? How are things changing over time? And what you, the initial scope is really just like a starting point for a relationship that it could go any number of ways over the course of time and being responsive and adaptable to that and willing to us what is actually going on here and what is actually the need. That's really important as a designer individually to progress in your career but also in like teams that teams are capable of making those changes and that is like you know so important to partnering with clients and doing great work because the definition of what what good is it's it changes all the time and it's really impossible to predict at the start of any kind of engagement
0: oh yeah and declaring like the output well before you understand what like the actual like problem is that's a recipe for thrashing and so these poor overworked like product like basically engineers product managers designers like all three of them are like building this project and then they get retasked three months later because they learned something new or the executive team learned something new and they're like okay reorg and it's like musical chairs and then eventually they're just like i'm leaving because the execs are changing their strategy over and over again. But I think we could take, if there's a lot of thrashing going on, we could take some responsibility for the fact that we didn't approach the leadership as partners and actually help them come to better conclusions through like our perspective of like how to build things.
1: Yeah, I think those really sudden changes to strategy, you know, based on new intel, that is a symptom of perhaps poor research or poor yeah. strategic planning, but there's often the reality of as a design team, the best way to respond to that and know that it will happen is to be flexible and understanding your role as a partner to leadership. And hopefully there are design leader roles is not as an executor of stuff. It's not like our job in design is not to be, you know, give us the thing. And we'll just do it and don't change it, please. Like it's to actually respond to what's going on in the company. And if the company is chaotic, your desire to stay there, that's like a different issue to what would actually help the project right now, which is to be very responsive to like these situations that are not ideal. They need responses that are more thoughtful and flexible than, you know, what's going on here? Like, why is this changing? Like. It's good to ask those questions, but oftentimes they are needed. They're based on something. Hopefully, it's on something real, you know, like customer data or something that actually matters. Those changes happen all the time, and responding to them is, I think,
0: a part of the job. Okay, Justin, this has been a really interesting conversation because if you want to be in the agency model, you're almost like becoming like a McKinsey or a Bain, where you're just like you're just air dropping in. To solve problems not necessarily like fulfill projects anymore and i think obviously the big consulting firms figured this out bain acquired i think fjord and then i think mckenzie bought i forgot what the mckenzie bought but they now they have a design studio like they're realizing like oh like this needs to be like an added service to like our our consulting model and now agencies are realizing, oh. The market actually needs us to be more like consultants rather than just straight up like first capacity.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. If organizations aspire to be a more holistic or fuller service type of agency, I think they need to start thinking a bit more like consulting. Just like those consultants like Deloitte Digital, like now they are moving more design, like having that capability in-house. I think the only companies that can, stay in that craft wheelhouse if they want to it is more like of that boutique model where they're doing a specific thing and they're known for that and yeah that's their whole world but companies that want to offer more and solve problems that are just at the executional level but helping with that service and with that business I think that consultant mindset is so key because you can't know and understand these problems without dropping in and being in there with an organization.
0: Yeah. Justin, that I think is a good like bow on the end of this conversation. Again, thank you so much for coming on the show and dealing with the logistical issues of (laughs) trying to get this interview recorded. I don't know, just for listeners to know, like we actually tried to do this recording a few weeks ago. And then like that, my, my brain just decided to have a migraine at the start of Justin's interview. And so Justin's been a really great sport. So thanks for coming because I'm glad we had this conversation and I learned. a to- lot. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Kaden. I had a great time. Hey, listener. Thanks again for listening to The Way of Product. As we power down today's session on the fusion of creativity and technology, let's solidify the energy you've gotten from our dialogue today. If you've gleaned insights or strategies that could turbocharge your projects, I have a small but powerful ask. Swing by the platform where you're hearing this and leave a review. Think of it as your digital high five to us. It's a fuel that propels this content to more creative technologists like you, amplifying the impact of the shared knowledge. So until our next interview, keep pioneering and pushing the envelope. Thanks again for lending your ears and your imagination to our community. Catch you on the next download. Today's episode is sponsored by Alchemy, a name you might not be familiar with yet, but one you'll definitely want to remember. Here's why. You know, most meetings can be a drain, right? Well, I was tired of that, tired of good energy getting sucked out of potentially explosive creative sessions. So I decided to do something about it. That's why I started Alchemy. Think of Alchemy as a special ops team of a collaboration. We're the ones you call for remote or on-site workshops When you need to get your product team aligned and moving without the usual drag. No more endless circles or feeling like you're herding cats. So, no more endless circles or feeling like you're herding cats. I've been there, stuck in the muck of misalignment, watching the clock while while creativity fizzles out. That's not how breakthroughs happen. That's why alchemy workshops are built differently. They're the antidote for common... They're the antidote anecdote they're the antidote that's why alchemy that's why alchemy workshops are built differently they're the antidote to the common meeting. and because i believe in the power of what we're doing i'm offering a special to wave Prog listeners especially you who listened all the way to the end if your team's feeling stuck let's talk i'm opening up my calendar for free 25 minute coaching calls to audit your team's collaboration issues We dissect the problem areas in that call. We'll dissect the problem in that call. We'll dissect the problem areas and I'll share techniques and tactics tailored to get you unlocked and in that call we'll dissect the problem areas and I'll share techniques and tactics tailored to get you unblocked and back in the flow. Think of it as a turbo boost for your team's productivity. So here's what you do. Visit way of product, way of forward slash workshops get all the details, sign up for your free coaching call, and let's start turning those meeting groans into high fives. All right, I'll let you get back to your day. Thanks for listening to t- today's episode. All right, I'll let you get back to your day. Let's And thanks again for listening to today's episode. All right, I'll let you get back to your day. Uh, all right, I'll talk to you soon. And remember, with alchemy, it's not just a meeting, it's a turning point. Is everyone gone yet? because this next offer is for you. And this is because you listened all the way to the end of this episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Alchemy, a name you might not be familiar with yet, but one you'll definitely want to remember. I don't know about you, but most meetings are terrible. Long circular discussions, weeks with no progress. I was tired of that. Tired of good energy, getting sucked out of potentially explosive creative sessions. So I finally decided to do something about it. That's why I started Alchemy. Think of Alchemy as a special ops for team collaboration. We're the ones you call for remote or on-site workshops where you need to get your product team aligned and moving without the usual drag. No more endless circles or feeling like you're herding cats. I've been there. I've been stuck in the muck of misalignment, watching the clock while creativity just fizzles out. That's not how breakthroughs happen. Alchemy workshops are built differently. They are the cure to the common meeting. And because I believe in the power of what we're doing, I'm offering something special to Wave product listeners. If your team's feeling stuck, let's talk. I'm opening my calendar for free 25 minute coaching calls to audit your team's collaboration issues. We'll dissect the problem areas and I'll share techniques and tactics tailored to your situation to help you get unblocked and back in the flow. Think of it as a turbo boost for your team's productivity. So here's what you do visit wayofproduct.com forward slash workshops. Get all the details, sign up for your free coaching call, and let's start turning those meeting groans into high fives. All right, thanks for listening to the full episode. And remember, with alchemy, it's not just a meeting, it's a turning point. Talk to you soon.